Hey friends, just want to give you a heads up that you may want to listen to today's episode by yourself first before listening with kids around. Everybody, what is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're in Numbers 31. And if you're tracking along with us in the guided journal, you know that today we're zooming in on verses 13 through 18. And due to the weightiness of this topic and the extensiveness of the questions it raises, we will be spending a little bit more time together. So let's just call it what it is. Today's reading is a tough passage. We've got the vengeance of the Lord, the killing of every male in Midian, the women and children referred to as their little ones are taken captive, all the little boys are killed, any woman that had been sexually active was killed, and the young girls and virgins are kept for the Israelite men. And as I read this, my heart was grieved for the families that were broken up, for the women who lost their husbands, for the mothers whose sons were killed, young sons, for the little boys who lost their lives, and the young girls that were taken captive from their families and raised by foreigners. In my, in my head, it plays out like a really bad movie. Horrific. And the people doing this are supposedly the good guys. How? If God is good, why do bad things happen? Is the God of the Old Testament a moral monster? Is this genocide? In order to best understand this chapter and the character of a good God that doesn't need to be wrongly called into question, we've got to rewind. You go all the way back to Genesis. God creates people. He puts them in the garden. He gives them freedom and a choice. Out of love, he doesn't force his people to be in a relationship with him. But they choose wrong, and sin enters the picture. Yet even then, we learned that God's going to send a child to conquer the evil one. And eventually, God makes a promise to Abraham, who's a routine liar, might I add, and God said that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And despite all odds, this family finds themselves in Egypt and grows tremendously. Unfortunately, their large size was viewed as a threat, and they were enslaved. However, God remembered his promises to Abraham, so he raised up Moses, a murderer, to lead the Israelites out of slavery. God doesn't need perfect people to accomplish his purposes. And God did all of this through the plagues, the Passover, and the parting of the Red Sea. Now, God had also promised Abraham that his family would have a new home. So under the leadership of Moses, God sets this family apart as a nation. He gives them the law, instructions for living life in light of their new freedom, and they prepare to head to their new home. But before they even hit the road, the Israelites rebel, breaking the tablets the first Ten Commandments were written on. But ultimately, as we read in Exodus 34, new tablets are made, and the Lord makes an agreement with the people. The story goes like this. Exodus 34, starting around verse 6, God expresses that he's a God of mercy and kindness and graciousness, but he is also just, and the wicked cannot go unpunished. Moses responds by agreeing with God, worshiping him, and begging for forgiveness, the golden calf and the broken tablets. He wanted God to forgive the people, and the Lord responds by forgiving them and making a covenant with them. And the goal of this, this deal or this arrangement is simple, that the other nations would come to see the God of Israel very clearly. And God says to Moses, he's like, hey, listen carefully, lean in, pay attention. God says, I'm going to help you guys drive out the inhabitants of the land, the people who are living in this new home I'm giving you. 
But be very careful, Israel. God says, don't ever make a treaty with them. Break down their pagan altars, smash their pillars, etc. And here's why. This is Exodus 34, verses 15 through 16. He's like, hey, they're going to invite you in to worship pagan gods. And if your sons marry their daughters, the Israelites are going to be influenced by their pagan ways and start employing their pagan practices. So God's like, hey, drive them out. Drive them out. Don't make deals with them. Don't interact with them. And Israel agrees. They say, yeah, we're in. And then the story goes on. God goes with his people. Exodus generation sees the miracles. They make it to the edge of the promised land. Then they refuse to go in, rebelling and complaining. So they spend the rest of their lives wandering in the wilderness. And as they wander, they start to do all the things God told them not to do, which leads to consequences. And ultimately, that generation of Israelites dies off. And the new generation grows up and gets ready to enter the promised land. So now... We see all of God's instruction play out through the next generation of Israelites, the obedient-ish generation, if you will. So that said, who were the Midianites and why were they problematic to this new generation? The Midianites were unique enemies of Israel because their goal was to inhibit Israel's worship of Yahweh. A clear example of this is Balaam hiring Balak to curse Israel. This was a nation that practiced evil. Back in Numbers 25, we read that the daughter of a Midianite leader engaged in sexual intimacy with an Israelite man. And given the context of Baal worship, as one commentator put it, this act was considered to be part of the broader spiritual contamination deliberately engineered by the Midianites. Additionally, if we go back even further to Genesis, the Midianites were involved in Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery. Now, scholars have differing views as to where this people group came from in the boundaries of their territory, if they weren't just a nomadic group that lived in the desert. But regardless of the specifics of their whereabouts, it's clear that the Midianites were a uniquely spiritual enemy. The Midianites were a uniquely spiritual enemy of Israel. Additionally, Eventually, when we read the book of Judges, we'll learn that they made their living raiding other people groups. So here's what they would do. Just when the Israelite crops were starting to grow, the Midianite groups would set up camp in a strategic location. Then they'd bring terror on the civilization's growing crops, raiding the camps, stealing all of their hard work, kicking them out, and living off the fruit of the Israelites' labor. They benefited off of the hard work of others. They took what wasn't theirs. They ripped people off. These people, the Midianites, they were a threat spiritually, morally, and physically. They made a living and grew their population through immoral behavior and outright invasive attacks. It's robbery. So given this information, it's understandable God wouldn't want Israelite men to marry these bad influences, and it's also understandable that their corrupt acts would activate God's justice. War was inevitable, especially when faithful, obedient Israelite men were involved. God's people weren't going to be seduced by the immoral Midianite way, and that immoral way had consequences, as we see here in Numbers 31. Nonetheless, While war may have been inevitable, if God is good, why then would he go so far as to command the children to be killed? For starters, we have to remember what God said in Exodus 34. The entire family is affected by sin. 
Second, we have to understand the wrath of God. An article from the Gospel Coalition puts it like this, God's wrath, in perfect harmony with all of his divine attributes, is the holy action of retaliatory justice towards persons whose actions deserve eternal condemnation. The wrath of God affirms God's righteous displeasure with sin and his retribution upon unrepentant sinners. In our secular age, God's wrath is a foreign and unwanted truth. There is a consistency about the wrath of God in the Old Testament. It is no capricious passion, but the stern reaction of the divine towards evil, or the divine nature towards evil. In short, wrath is the vengeance God takes toward all forms of wickedness. In the ESV, the word first translated wrath is found in Exodus twenty-two twenty-four, as God warns Israel of mistreating travelers in their midst. It's a good example. God's like, hey, if you mistreat the travelers and they ask me for help, your life is going to suffer the consequences. This verse, it captures the severity that God takes towards sin. As God warned Adam, and the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Death entered the world through Adam's one sin, and sin has always brought about the holy wrath of God. Let me say that again. The article reads, Death entered the world through Adam's one sin, and sin has always brought about the holy wrath of God. God cannot withstand sin, and while he may delay his justice, he will not deny his holiness. And thus, through divine intervention and secondary agents like the army of Assyria in Isaiah, for example, God's wrath will be vented fully. The article continues. Importantly, God's wrath is never hasty or disconnected from his other attributes. God's wrath, it's not hasty, it's not impatient, it's not disconnected from his other attributes. As Exodus 34, 6 through 7 states, Yahweh is slow to anger. Such patience is another aspect of his divine glory and one that puts his wisdom on display, that God knows when to be patient and when to act in justice. Indeed, God's slowness to anger should be taken as motivation for repentance, Joel 2, and never a denial of his justice. So here's what we need to know. Number one, God's attributes don't turn on and off. That's the first point. So while in this passage we see the justice and wrath of God, we have to remember that he is always loving, always gracious, always fair, and always just. So on the one hand, believe it or not, this act was loving because he was protecting the Israelites from an incredibly bad influence. That said, this was not the Midianites' first encounter with Israel. The Lord is slow to anger. See the number of chances Balaam was given when sent to curse Israel. This war, it didn't spring up out of nowhere. There was a history of rebellion. That's point two. There was a history of Midianite paganism, rebellion, and immorality, and the God of Israel is just. There's a history. Number three, this is not genocide. In fact, God is for the nations. He shows no partiality. He's for them, and he desires for them to know him. God will just as easily swallow up his own people through a hole in the ground, see Korah's rebellion, just as easily as he'll send war on the Midianites. He is fair. Additionally, we see that God's desire was for the Israelites to introduce the watching world to him. Rahab and Joshua is a great example. 
outsiders were admitted into the family of God. And the Midianites, they weren't killed just because they were Midianites. They were killed because they were propagating dark, immoral, and evil practices intentionally aimed at undermining God's sovereignty and holiness, which, by the way, doesn't go well. And lastly, point number four, God is God and we are not. Of the killing of the women and children, one commentator says this, The sword of war should spare women and children as incapable of resisting. But the sword of justice knows no distinction except that of guilty or not guilty or more or less guilty. This was the execution of a righteous sentence upon a guilty nation in which the women were actually the greatest criminals. Remember, sexual immorality was rampant. And it may safely be said that their lives were forfeited by their personal transgressions. With respect to the execution of the male infants who cannot be supposed to have been guilty, God, the author and supporter of life, who has a right to dispose of it when and how he thinks proper, commanded it. And shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That said, again, we must remember that the attributes of God don't turn on and off. For while he's just, he's also protector. What about the virgin women who were spared? What happened to them? Some people, some scholars, assert that the girls were put into concubines. But as one commentator points out, this claim does not prove to be true. They were merely permitted to be possessed as female slaves, but they were educated in their families. They were employed. For the laws concerning fornication, concubines, and marriage were in full force and prohibited an Israelite even from marrying a captive without delays and previous formalities. And if and if he was to do so, if an Israelite was to break the law and enter into sexual relations with one of these women after he divorced her, he was to set her at liberty. And we'll link the cross-references for this in the description. The young virgin women who were kept by the Israelites were to be employed, educated, well-treated, and taken care of. Israelite men were not to lie with them, and in the event that they violated God's instruction regarding this matter and then divorced them, the woman was to be freed because God, he cares about the treatment of his image bearers. He is patient, he is just, and he is protector. And while this leaves us with many questions, like why did God use the ground to punish Israel and Israel to punish the Midianites, at the end of the day, we can rest in the character of God and rejoice because his wrath was satisfied through Jesus's death on the cross. So in regard to all those questions, John Piper, he says this, so God has times and seasons for when he shares his authority to take and give life. And the church today is not Israel and we are not a political entity. Therefore, the word we have from the Lord today is love your enemy. Pray for those who abuse you. Lay your life down for the world. Don't kill in order to spread the gospel, but die to spread it. And I believe that's a great point of application for us. Are we willing, are you willing to lay down your life to spread the gospel? Sit with those who are hurting. Weep with those who weep. Don't don't hide from hard conversations. Stand up for what is right. Share the gospel with those who don't know it, regardless of the consequences. And as you do, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey 
reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.